Now, over the last six weeks, we've been asking some pretty significant questions about, about God. And today is actually going to be the last, the last day that we're going to ask and answer um, the question, if God, then why? And so today, we're going to be... Actually, last week, we, we asked the question, if God is a God of life, why does death exist? And uh, it was a pretty big question to ask and answer, but I think we, the Lord helped us to understand a little bit more about that. So if you want to consider that a bookend, then the other bookend is going to be the question we're going to ask and answer today. Um, if God wants us all to go to heaven, then why is there a hell? Yeah. You know, we've been really looking at this as far as trying to bring clarity and filling in the gaps of our theology. Our theology is simply our belief system. That's what a theology is. It's just a belief system. Your belief in who God is and, and his interaction with us. And what happens is it helps, to understand, it helps to inform us in our lives, not if but when those difficult and challenging seasons we all face uh, come upon us. How many is faced a difficult situation in your life. Anybody want to join me in that? Certainly. Everybody has faced a crisis, a difficult and challenging season. We all face them. But what I hope that this series has helped you to do and to accomplish today, over the last several weeks in fact, is to equip you so that when you do face those inevitable struggles, that you won't have a crisis of your faith in God. I know that there's some people that... Uh, Say, for example, I prayed really hard and long and, and believed with all of my heart and I quoted the scripture and all, prayed for my loved one, and they still, they still passed away. So there's really not a God. God really doesn't love and God really doesn't care and all those sort of things. We just kind of throw God under the bus. We realized last week the reason that, <laughs> that there's death is it's not his fault, it's our fault. <laughs> so you can listen to the message last week. I'm not going to re re-preach last week's message, but... You can go on our website and go on our Facebook page and you can um, to, to get the answer to that question. But I want us to answer this question this morning. If God wants us all to go to heaven, then why is there a hell? Let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you today for this day you've made. And this is the day that you've made and your word says that as a result of that, we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you, God, that we can come into this place and worship you. Lord, as we've uh, come into this house and gathered in your name to worship you, forgetting about ourselves, lifting up holy hands, uh, declaring that your life is, our life is in your hands and that you care for us and, and you're a great God and all these wonderful proclamations that we've made in our worship this morning. Now, Lord God, we ask that by your spirit that you come and minister to our hearts and bring the truth to us. Spirit of truth, won't you come right now and reveal to us why there is a hell if you want us all to go to heaven. That doesn't seem to make sense to us, but Lord, help it to make sense based on what your word says. We thank you, Lord, for opening up our hearts to receive this word, instructing us, challenging us, equipping us, helping us to go from this place with a greater understanding of who you are and your interaction with us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to reveal the truth of God to us today in the word. We ask these things, Jesus, in your name. And everybody said amen. amen. So again, we learned that last week, death exists because of sin. Death exists because of sin. If we didn't have sin, there would be no death. 
as we looked at it, our sins, wages produce death. If you have a job, you expect your boss to give you a paycheck for your labor. As such, when we labor in sin, when we sin, our wages are, the Bible says, death. Romans 6.23 very clearly says in the first part of it, for the wages of sin is death. We all know that scripture. The wages, your paycheck for sinning is that you die. And there's really nothing we can do about it in our own strength. Death entered into the human race through Adam and Eve's disobedience to God's command. Not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. You go back and read it in the first two, three chapters in the book of Genesis. But they did eat of that fruit and sin entered into humanity from then until now. And we are the results and the victims of that and have to live in it. Our sin impacts all of creation, by the way. It's not just our bodies that are dying, but it's everything around us dies. In sin, everything dies. And so we learned last week that we don't need to get mad at God and blame Him when death occurs because death is not God's fault. Death is our fault. God isn't to blame for our sin, and He isn't to blame for death. We are. But I'm also thankful that in Romans 6.23, he's given us an escape from death. He's given us a remedy for sin because the rest of that scripture in Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death. If that's all that there was to it, boy, would we be in trouble, huh? But thank God that he's given us his son, amen? amen. Because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God sent His only begotten Son to this earth to live a perfect and sinless life and to die for my sins and for your sins. So we ask the question, why did Jesus have to give His life? Why did God require that to take place? And I can go into a lot of the different reasons as to why as far as the Old Testament and the sin sacrifice and the animals that were killed. But let's just put it this way. Can I just kind of put a big old bow on the top of it and say the reason that Jesus had to die, the, <coughs> the reason that God required it is because that's God's plan. We can get into some other things later on, but I just want to trust you and I want you to trust me in that it's God's plan that Jesus had to die. God required it. It's God's plan. Now, you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to agree with the way that God does things, by the way. But it doesn't change the fact that this is the process that God has set up. In fact, I want to even go further than that. You may not even agree with it. You may even go as far as... We have to understand that our, our human nature is that we're hardwired to push back. Think about it. We say things like, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to believe. Don't tell me how I should think. Don't tell me how I should live. Don't tell me how I should talk. Don't tell me anything. Stop bossing me around. We have a rebellious streak in us a mile long against authority. The government, our parents, our bosses, law enforcement, even in the church, against pastors, and most especially against God himself. We just don't like anybody telling us what to do. So we make our own theology. We do what we want to do. We kind of pick and choose. 
We make our own laws. We can pick and choose what we want to do. Think about it. We just don't like people telling us what to do. We have this rebellious streak that is ingrained in us. And we live actually in a culture right now, for example. You see it in all fronts, but let me just give you a couple of different examples of this pushback, this rebellion that's taking place. First off, in the definition of gender, and also in the definition of marriage. Those are two pushbacks that are really strong right now in the world. The rebellion of humanity against God's fixed laws will tell you that you can identify as anything that you want to be. No longer is there just male and female, as the Bible says. And just look around, there's just males and females in here today. I don't know what else you may be looking at. But the world says that there's more than just male and female. The world says that there's a variety of choices that you can make. Regardless of the body parts that you were born with, regardless of the unchangeable DNA of male or female in your body today, it's anything goes. It's rebellion at the highest expression against God. The same goes with marriage. No longer is marriage defined as between one man and one woman, which is what the Bible says. Now the mantra is love is love. And the rainbow has been stolen as God's, from God's promise to not destroy the earth again with, with a flood to now it's been stolen and used as a device and a, and a symbol for, you know, love is love. You can marry whoever you want. And really I'll predict that you can actually marry whatever you want one day. And just because our nation and other nations have made it the law of the land doesn't mean it's okay and it's acceptable by God. And just because large Christian denominations throughout the world are softening their stances on gay marriage and beginning to embrace uh, gay marriage and even having priests and, and pastors uh, that are homosexuals be ordained in the ministry, it doesn't mean it's okay with God. God's word is unchangeable. Church, sin is sin no matter what. Man's laws and cultural norms may say otherwise. But holiness and purity and righteousness in Christ will always remain the same. I've got to say it again. I say it a lot, but I'm going to say it again. Right is right, even if no one is doing it. And wrong is wrong, even if everyone is doing it. What we're seeing happen before our very eyes in every conceivable category is the climax of a rebellious creation against the Creator God. And it's happening quickly, isn't it? It seems like it's almost at breakneck speed. It's, it's really even hard to kind of keep up with it at times. That's why we need to have a solid foundation and we need to know in whom we believe and not be persuaded in any other way. The Bible says, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. So who do you believe in today? Do you believe in the unchangeable, solid word of God? As your true north set to Jesus Christ, are you listening to see which way the wind is blowing and going that direction? That is the way of destruction, folks. But if you'll stay true and fix yourself in the unchangeable truths of God's word, you will not have a crisis of your faith. You will not be swayed. Things are at the same time speeding up and they're also expanding. As Satan's pulling out all the stops, 
And an evil and rebellious world laps it up. They can't get enough as this whole thing reaches its, fun, its finale. This is just as the Bible predicted, by the way. This is not just me speculating anything. The Bible says very clearly that these things are going to take place. What we're seeing right now needs to take place, the Bible says, just before the return of Christ. I believe that we're in the end of the end of the end of the end times. We're right before the return of Christ. We're just moments away before the trumpet sounds. We're right there, church. Jesus is going to come and take us all the way to heaven. And he's going to come and make all things new. There's going to be a tribulation of seven years that's going to take place on this earth. Well, literally, all hell will break loose. And the wrath of God will be poured out on a rebellious mankind. But those who have placed their faith and trust in Him as Savior and Lord will be caught up and taken away from that mess that's getting ready to take place. So my strong advice for you today is this. Is that you step back from your pushback and instead consider embracing this process and this plan of forgiveness of sin that God has established. It's His way and there's no other way. Because, I mean, really, how's it going your way, huh? How's it going the way that, with the way that your theology has come up with? Well, I'm just going to be a good person. I'm just going to live a good life. I'm going to go to church every once in a while. I'm going to say my prayers before I go to bed. I'm going to say my prayers before I eat. I'm going to try to be a good person and do nice things every once in a while. It's going to be all right. Mm -mm. It's not how it works. So, so what is God's way? Let's look at this for just a moment. And I'm going to get to this part of, if God wants us all in heaven, why is there a hell? I'm going to answer that question, but I'm setting it up here. So first off, I want you to write this down. Put our sin, or put my sin, if you want to make it personal. My sin, our sin. As we learned last week, sin isn't God's fault, it's our fault. And by the way, as a fact, sin will not be tolerated in God's holy presence. It just won't. God is holy. Sin cannot be in God's holy presence. God ejected Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of his presence, because sin entered into mankind. Understand that you have a rebellious streak in you, and that's what sin does. Sin makes us rebel against God. Satan knows this, and Satan tries to tempt us into sin, and I might add he does it with great success often, doesn't he? No amens on that one. Okay, that's fine. I'll say amen to me then. Well, that's not me. Satan don't tempt me. Yeah, he does. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you fell into temptation at one point or another in your life. Even if it's just one time, you're a sinner. Oh, pastor, I'm a saint. I'm a child of God. Well, you're a sinner saved by grace is what you are. Yeah, we're all sinners saved by grace. Even today in this church body. This is my, I'm going to step, you, step your feet back here just a little bit because I'm going to step on some toes. You ready? Now I've prayed about this and I've asked the Lord to help me to say this. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. And I'm not speaking from a place of I've got this all figured out and that I'm perfect. Because I am the chief, as Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. But I have to say this today because I don't want to stand before the Lord one day 
and him say, why didn't you say that? Because I'm responsible for your souls, but I can't save you. But I can point you to the one who can. But I also, there's times where we need to be uh, edified. There's times where we need to be instructed. But there's some times where we need to be confronted and admonished. And so I'm speaking the truth in love here this morning with this. Because I know that the Holy Spirit has told me that there's many here who are walking in unrepentant sin. I, I feel like the Holy Spirit is, is, is instructing me to have you examine your hearts today. It's time for some of us to stop playing around and to stop dabbling in sin and to get serious about our walk with Christ. Church, it's time to stop dancing around the fires of sin because it will burn you. Let me ask you this morning, and this is the Holy Spirit asking you, and you know exactly who you are and what's going on in your life. What are you doing right now? What are you considering possibly to do that's in direct rebellion to God's holy and righteous decrees? You know. The Lord knows. What is the Holy Spirit warning you of right now that you're either doing or considering doing that you know is blatant sin? We can justify it. We can excuse it away. We can even become hardened and calloused and indifferent about sin. But I pray that right now the Holy Spirit brings conviction to your hearts. And that you'll repent of the sin before it's too late. Because if you persist in your unrepentant sin, you will not go to heaven, but you will go to hell. Pastor, those are hard words. I know they are. But sometimes we need to hear things like this. Let me just read a scripture to you that talks about this. 1 Corinthians 6. Verses 9 through 10 says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, they will not go to heaven. Sinners will not go to heaven. Unrepentant sinners will not go to heaven. Don't be deceived. Here's quite, here's a, here's a, it's not a, an exhaustive list, but it's, it's a list. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. That's a homosexual. Nor thieves. Nor the greedy. Nor drunkards. Nor slanderers. Nor swindlers. Will inherit the kingdom of God. Now don't look at that list and say, well I'm not doing any of those things so I guess I'm okay. Sin is sin. So you know what the Holy Spirit is telling you. So don't you dare read that section there and say, well, dodge that bullet. You know what you're doing. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that right now. So you see, the more that we do it, the more we act upon the temptations, 
The more we allow the rebellious sinful nature to be in control, the easier it is to justify it and the easier it is to walk in it. But you also need to understand that the very freedom that we've been given to sin, that choice, is also constructing a trap and a prison for us that we cannot escape without God's rescue. Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. There's a lot of pastors, there's a lot of ministers, there's a lot of people that work in the church, there's a lot of people that do the work of the Lord. This is what he's talking about. There's a lot of people who profess to be Christians that are volunteering in church and doing different things that Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I never had relationship with you. You did things in my name, but we didn't have a relationship. I know this is frustrating for us. I believe with all of my heart that there's those here today that are struggling in sin in their heart. And in their heart of hearts, they don't want to do it. I, they know it's wrong, they know it's bad for them, and they know that it grieves God's heart, but yet it's still being done. We're still doing it. And here's the thing, as I said, we all struggle. There's not one of us here today that doesn't struggle with one thing or another, the big stuff, the small stuff, everything in between at one time or another. We're all in the same boat. So then why do we sin? I'm going to... I'm going to wrap this part up here and answer this question with a, very provo- uh, with a very provocative thought. But let's start off by asking, why do we sin? Why do we even sin? Well, it's because of rebellion. It's because, it's because of Adam and Eve. No, why do, we, why do you sin? Why do I sin? Here's why. In short, because we enjoy it. It's fun. It's pleasurable. It makes us feel good for a moment. Now, why do we enjoy it? Well, John 3.19, Jesus said this. Men, humanity, our flesh, who we are, loves darkness more than light. Oh, pastor, I don't love darkness more than light. Well, that's why we sin. We enjoy it because Jesus said these words, you love darkness, I love darkness more than light. And why do we love darkness rather than light? Let's go to Solomon in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. It says, there's a way that appears right to a man at the very beginning. It feels like, man, this is pretty good. But in the end, it leads to destruction. It leads to death. Simply put, we enjoy being the one in charge. Again, it goes back to rebellion. We enjoy getting our own way. And we enjoy experiencing pleasures that are new and that feel good. Even if they're in direct opposition to God's plan and will for our lives based on His Word. But in the end, I promise you it's not worth it. In the end, it leads to destruction and leads to death. So, here's what I want to kind of get to this morning. How do we overcome sin? Because ultimately, sin comes down to this one question. Will you trust God, or will you trust yourself? In other words, does His plan make more sense than your plan? Right? 
Will you yield to God's plan in your life or will you choose your plan? Will you die to yourself and live for him or live for yourself and deny him? Our flesh, absent God's direct intervention and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, will always choose self. Always. Last week we read for the very first temptation in the serpent, when the serpent told Eve that the apple was good. Let's read it. Let's go back and, and look at this again in Genesis 3, 6. I want to point something out to you. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing for, to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Okay, we know that part. Think about this for a moment. Satan didn't lie when he told Eve to eat of the fruit. He didn't lie. He just, because he, it was pleasing to the eyes. What he didn't, though, say, he omitted the long-term consequences. Oh, eat it. In the short term, all sin seems to have a positive reinforcement. It seems to feel good. It's pleasing. It, 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 it makes the flesh satisfied. It feels good for the moment. But there are long-term consequences for the choices that we make. And there is a price to pay eventually. Listen to this in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11 through 13. It describes it very well. When the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, people's hearts are filled with schemes to do wrong. In other words, we keep doing wrong over and over and over again, but there's no immediate consequences for it. We think we'll never get caught, and it's not a problem. We just keep doing it. So we just keep doing more and more evil. We're filled with schemes to do more and more wrong. Although a wicked person who commits a hundred crimes may live a long time, I know that it will go better with those who fear God, who are reverent before God. Yet because the wicked don't fear God, it will not go well with them and their days will not lengthen like a shadow. I think we think, man, why are these people that are doing so much wrong and, you know, just being awful in their lives and they're succeeding, they're rich, they're famous, they're whatever. We say, that's just not fair because I'm trying to live a good life, you know. And here I am just kind of getting squashed down. And so we look at it that way. And that's true. It feels a little unfair. But this scripture is saying they will have to pay. There is a consequence. God, they're going to have to stand before God. And their wickedness will have to be answered for the fact is, sin is not a defect of our will. We cannot will ourselves enough to not sin. I will not sin. I will not sin. I will not sin. How many have ever tried that? Doesn't work, does it? Yeah. What sin is at its root is a defect of love. What do I mean by that? John 14, 15 says, this is Jesus saying to us today, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, in fact, after Jesus rose again from the dead, he went to Simon Peter after, after Simon Peter had denied Jesus three times at the crucifixion. And Jesus asked him in John 21, 4, uh, 21 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Think about it. Do you love me more than these? So here, here, here's, the, here's what I want to get down to. Here's this. Sin comes down to this one thing. Sin. Do you love sin more than you love Jesus? That's, that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Uh, oh, that we would love Jesus enough to walk in his commandments. Amen? 
Oh, that we would love Jesus enough with all of our hearts and walk in daily relationship with him. Oh, that we would expend our energies and readjust our priorities for the things that are eternal and not what rusts and rots and fades away. So, so the next time you're facing a temptation to sin, whatever it is, and here you are right now, maybe even in the midst of this sin that you're considering or that you're exercising and practicing right now, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I love this that I'm doing or considering doing more than I love Jesus? That's such a sobering question, isn't it? Have you ever asked yourself, it's a rhetorical question, but have you ever asked yourself that? If not, start. So that when you're facing this temptation, when you're getting ready to move into something that you know, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, and you know that it's wrong, say, Jesus, do I love this that I'm about ready to say or do more than I love you? Please let the answer be no. Let that be your pivot point to say, I love you more, Jesus. Help me to love you more. Help me in my unbelief. You know, help me to press into you more. And to get rid of those things. To shun them. To reject them in my life. Let's look at God's remedy for just a moment. We're sinful people. Our sin. What do we do with it? God's remedy for our sin sickness. Did you know that sin is a sickness? It's a spiritual sickness. And did you know that the remedy, the inoculating antibody for that sin is Jesus' blood? Get an infusion of Jesus' blood, you're cured. I love it. His sin obliterates, or rather his blood obliterates our sin. His blood obliterates our sin. There's no match. It's not even close. If we ask Jesus into our hearts, we ask him to forgive us of our sins, he will forgive us no matter what you've done, no matter how often you've done it. 1 John 1, 9 says that we confess our sins to him. He is faithful and just, and He will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's called inoculation. That's called a cleansing. That's called a remedy. That's called a rescue. You see, our rebellious plan is that we live a good life and do good things. That's what we want to do. We're going to live a good life. We're going to do some good things. We create our own plan of salvation apart from repentance of sins and faith in Jesus because our flesh does not want to do that. Our flesh wants our cake and eat it too. I want to serve Jesus, but I also want to serve my flesh. You cannot serve two gods. You can't have it both ways. God's plan is that we confess our sins to God. And then we place our faith in Jesus Christ. I promise you, your plan will not trump God's plan. You're going to stand before God. And he's going to tell you the same thing that I'm telling you right now, but then it's going to be too late. But now it's not too late. As if this moment it's not too late. So be wise and choose God's plan. So what are the results of it? Hallelujah. The results are that we have a restored relationship back to God the Father. The sin that took place, that rebellion that took place in the Garden of Eden that, was, that broke that relationship that we have with God is now restored through Jesus Christ. You're going to stand before God, and he's going to say, you accepted my, my son. You accepted my son as Lord and Savior. And that restored relationship back to God the Father is going to mean that we can have, the Bible says, a life more abundantly here on this earth, but also an eternity with him in heaven one day. Sin divides us from God's presence. 
Jesus' finished work on the cross of Calvary restores that relationship again. Figure that if you can do a word picture with me, you've probably seen this before, but if we're standing here in our sin and God's over here on this side and between me and God, there's this giant chasm. It goes way down deep. That chasm is sin. There's no way that I can get from here to here. I'm toast. But then along comes Jesus. And he builds a bridge. And Jesus is the bridge. And I can walk surely over that bridge and be restored back to God the Father. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus has become the bridge from where we are to where we want to be back to God the Father. That relationship. That chasm is always going to be there. But Jesus is the only way. You can't make it another way. You can't fly over. You can't dig your way under. You can't go another path. It's just Jesus and Jesus alone is our path to get back to right relationship with God again. So, if God desires us to all be in heaven, then why is there a hell? Because sin can't be in God's holy presence. And so we as sinners cannot be in heaven where God resides. You know, most people don't seem to have a difficulty in imagining heaven as a real place. I think we all can say, and if you took a survey of people that don't go to church, and maybe they don't have a, as much, you know, of a, a knowledge of who God is or anything like that, people always can agree, yeah, there's a heaven. There's a heaven. Most people I, say, I would say would, would, would say, yeah, there's a heaven. If you take surveys... And in fact, I would see also that you would probably, in most of those people, would, in, would say that they actually are going to heaven, no matter how they live. Not only do I believe there's a heaven, I believe I'm going. If, if they do enough good deeds, if they try and live a good life, God understands, He's going to give them a wink and a nod, come on in. And, you know, and I don't know about you, but I've certainly been to enough funerals in my day. We have to take another look inside that coffin, just one more time, just to make sure that 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 minister that's talking in such glowing terms about that person, that wonderful life that that person lived, is that the same person that I... Are we, am I in the wrong room? But folks, you cannot preach someone into heaven. If you're counting on when you die, me preaching you into heaven, you might want to reconsider your heavenly strategy because I will not and I cannot preach you into heaven. You can't do enough good deeds to earn your way into heaven. It's only as we place our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ that we are saved. And that's it. And then we have a relationship with him. We, we know him. We, we, that's why when Jesus says, depart from me for I never knew you. It's about relationship. He wants to know us and us to know him in that one-on-one -on -one daily walk with him. He walks with us. He talks with us. It's a daily relationship of knowing him. We love Him more than we love our sin. We live for Him instead of ourselves. We turn from the things that are temporary and fleshly and live for the things that are eternal and holy and righteous and pure in Christ. And folks, there's great joy in living for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Not only do we get life eternal with Him one day, but the Bible talks about an abundant and blessed life here on this earth as well. Not without struggles and not without trials and temptations and, and issues that go on. But man, I'm so thankful that in those times that Jesus is with me. Amen? Amen. 
Aren't you glad that Jesus is with you through your struggles? Aren't you glad that he's with you through your trials and temptations? He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's there with you even to the end. You can try to run away from him, but you can't because he's there. He's our strength. He's our help. He's our support. He's our life. He's our, he's, he's our all in all. So thankful that in our struggles, he's with us. He's helping us. He's guiding us. And he strengthened us by his Holy Spirit. There's absolutely no life like a life lived for Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Jesus said these words to you today. Truly, I tell you that you haven't left your home, your brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, fields for me. You've left nothing for me and the gospel that will fail to be, to be received a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields along with persecutions. Like how he throws that in there. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who at first will be last and the last will be first. I, I, I'm just so thankful that God is watching each one of us and saying, I know what you've done and I know what you've given. I know what you sacrificed. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. No one knows the sacrifices that you've made. No one knows the things that you've done through your life. No one knows except God. And he's going to bless. No one knows the tears that you've shed. But God does. No one knows what you've done. That no one else knows. But you've done it as under the Lord. And he's going to keep blessing. And he's going to keep watching over us. Is there going to be struggles and trials? You bet. But God is going to bring it back to us in so many different ways. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. And that's not just money. We, I think we read into that in this nation. We think, I'm going to get rich. That's not it. Man. Man, the treasures of heaven. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pavement is gold up there. So, whatever. We just need to not... Say, all right, Lord, bless me with this in our minds, what we think is a blessing. He blesses us with spiritual things. He blesses us with strength. He blesses us with peace. He, he blesses us with good relationships. He blesses us with a sound mind and a sound heart. He blesses us with our physical bodies being whole and healed. He keeps our tires from wearing out and our water heaters from breaking down. You know, you know what I'm saying? He, he blesses us in all kinds of different ways. And he blesses us to be a blessing. We're not just sitting here grabbing hold of it and saying, I, I'm 100 years old, never been to the doctor before, and don't take a pill in my life. Good. What are you doing with that to glorify God, right? You know, I got a million dollars in my bank account. Good. What are you doing that to bless other people? What are, you doing? what are you doing to be a blessing as you've been blessed? Right? That's that life more abundantly so that we can be more abundant to others in, 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 in so many different ways. Uh, I need to be encouraged. Well, then encourage someone. Uh, I need to be strengthened. Well, then strengthen someone. Uh, I need to be edified. Then edify someone. You know? I, need to, I, I wish someone would be kind to me. Then you be kind to someone. Right? I wish I was loved. Then you love someone. Whatever it is, you do it. And be a blessing in that way. And whatever it is you do is unto the Lord. It'll come back to you. Not only here, but in, in eternity. As I said a couple of months ago, a few months ago, there's this beam of seat of blessing that God, and that we're going to stand before God. He's going to, here's your rewards. Here's your rewards. Thank you. Oh, thank you for being Christ. Thank you for being so kind, for, for being so generous. Thank you for being forgiving. Thank you. Thank you for doing these things. Because uh, when you've done it unto the least of me, uh, these, you've done it unto me. Thank you for doing that. There's going to be some blessings. Folks, as much as heaven is real, 
And I look forward to going one day, very soon. How about you? But also hell is real. Hell is very real. As much as heaven is real, hell is real. It's a real, actual, literal place. And again, you can go survey after survey. There's more people that believe in heaven than do hell. That's convenient. But be assured, folks, that hell exists. Hell is a real place. But hell was not created for you and for me. Hell was created for Satan and his demons. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will say to those on his left, this is God speaking, Depart from me who are cursed and enter into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. It doesn't say prepared for you and the devil and the angels. It says it's prepared for the devil and his angels. That's the eternal fire. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, hell is an awful place. Matthew 10, rather 13, verses 40 through 42 says, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil, and they will throw them into the blazing furnace where they would just have a great big party and sing uh, Jimmy Buffett songs for the rest of eternity. With their peeps. No. Yeah, I can't imagine how many times. Oh, I can't wait to get. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to go to hell. I'm going to party with my, my, my friends. No, you're not. Not unless partying includes weeping and gnashing of teeth. And torment for all of eternity. Now, if that's your idea of partying, then knock yourself out. But there is no partying in hell. Now, Jimmy Buffett may be down there. I don't know. And I don't know his relationship with the Lord. But hell is not a place where you're going to party with your friends. It's an awful place. And whether we like to believe it or not, hell is also a permanent place. It's not like a thousand years and then, you know, I'll do some good stuff and then God will you know, give us another chance. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 8 through 9 says that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with an everlasting destruction. How long is everlasting? Forever. And shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Oh, that's such a rich scripture verse right there. It's pretty clear that says, if you don't obey the gospel, if you don't place your faith in Jesus, you will go to hell along with Satan and his demons eternally. And you will also be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Can I just say something for just a second here real quick? Um, right now, you don't know what it's like to not be in God's presence. You don't know what it's like to not have the convicting power of the Holy Spirit on your life. You don't know what it's like to be in a, in a world devoid of the presence of God. You don't know it. But one day, if you were to go to hell, and I hope that nobody here does, but here's what's going to happen. It's going to be such an empty, hollow vacuum 
There's going to be this gnawing hunger that's there because what you right now are experiencing the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, the, the ministering power of the Holy Spirit, the, the healing power of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, the comfort, all of those things that the Holy Spirit brings to us, He will not be anywhere near hell. And it says you are going to be out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His might simply means that there's going to be such an empty, hollow feeling and I believe that's going to be a large part of what hell is going to be. That weeping and gnashing of teeth is going to be this sense of, I've never felt so empty in all my life of the presence of God. I just want to be convicted of sin one more time. If I could just feel that. But you won't be. Because there will be no convicting power of the Holy Spirit there. Hell is going to be, yes, an awful tormented place. And folks, can I say it again? It's going to be forever. It's going to be eternal. We, by default, will go to hell if we reject Jesus. We will join Satan and his demons for all of eternity if we choose to say no to Jesus. There is a heaven to gain today. And there is a hell to shun today. So let me ask you again. Do you love your sin more than you love Jesus? God desires us to be in heaven with him. That's who he made heaven for was us. But he made hell for Satan and his demons. By rejecting Jesus, you make the choice to go to hell. If God's desire is us for us to be in heaven, then why is there a hell? Don't blame him if you get to hell. Don't blame him if you know your loved ones went to hell. Don't blame him for hell. Blame yourself. God's given us the way of escape through Jesus Christ, and he's made heaven for us. You do not want to go to hell. And by the way, please don't tell someone else to go to hell. That's the worst curse you can put on somebody. Don't damn somebody. Watch your tongue. Bless them. Bless them to heaven. If someone hurts you, frustrates you, don't say go to hell. Say go to heaven. Bless them. Prophesy over them. Minister to them. The first step on this journey of repentance today is simply to say, Lord, I don't love my sin more than I love you. I want to love you. I want to love you more than anything else. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes? Bow your heads. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God. Won't you come and convict us today of our unrepentant sins and help us to fall in love with you. Help us to fall in love with you, Jesus. Help us to fall in love with you again. Help us to fall in love with you more deeply. Help us to fall in love with you over and over. Help us, Lord God, to give you our whole heart today and Lord as I stand here at this altar as Paul said he's the chief of sinners Lord I stand here not with unrepentant sin necessarily but Lord I do ask that you would come and remind me by your spirit that you're the only way Lord Jesus and that you'd help me, Holy Spirit, 
that when I'm faced with temptation, that I would love you more than those things that are of the flesh. Would anybody want to join me at the altar and pray that same prayer? I would love to not stand here by myself. And I really believe the Holy Spirit is drawing some people to finally turn from their wicked ways, to turn from their unrepentant sin, and let today be the day that we love Jesus more than we love those things. Jesus is saying to each one of us here today, lovest thou me more than these? He's asking us this morning, who do you love more? Your sin, your flesh, or do you love me? That's the crux of this message this morning. And when you choose Jesus, when you repent, when you turn from your wicked ways, and when you love him more than you love these other things, that's the path to heaven. Hallelujah. Father, we stand before you this morning with our hands raised and a sign of surrender to you. We lift both of them right now and say, Lord, I surrender. I give up. I give you my rebellion today. Lord, I don't want to live for myself anymore. Lord, I don't want to live in rebellion. I don't want to love my sin more than I love you. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me today. I believe there's some other people that need to come up right now because I believe I'm going to go back to this. There's things that you're either doing or you're contemplating doing. You're entertaining some things that are destructive to you, that are opposite of what God's Word says. They're opposite of holy. They're opposite of pure. They're opposite of righteous. They are feeding your flesh. They are in direct opposition to what God's Word says. And you're getting ready to act on some rebellion in your life. And it's going to be a path of destruction. It may feel good to you now. It may seem reasonable to you now. You may be connecting the dots right now and justifying what you're getting ready to do. But the Lord is saying, don't do it. Don't act upon it. Renew your mind right now in the truth of the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit speak to you truth and clarity and help you to escape the flames that you're getting ready to jump into. And instead, turn and run back to God the Father and cling to Him. Cling to Him. It's time to stop dancing around in the fires of sin. You're getting ready to get burned. Stop it. Stop it. Stop heading in that direction and turn and run to Jesus. Lord God, help us all today in the big and the small stuff and in every way to love you more than we love our flesh, more than we love our sin. Sin is enjoyable. It does feel good. We want to be in control. Our flesh loves it. We repent, Lord God, of those things. We crucify our flesh at the cross of Calvary right now. So, Father God, when we get up and we move from this place, my life, our life is no longer ours. We've been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in us and through us. Father, may we die to ourselves every day. May we die to our anger. May we die to our unforgiveness. May we die to our sexual perversions. May we die to our greed. May we die to our manipulation. May we die to the ugly things that we say and do and think towards people and really towards you. We repent, Lord God, 
of our lifestyle choices that have got us to this place where we know we're on a slippery slope. But Father God, we thank you for putting a stopgap measure right there and stopping us right in our tracks. And you're turning us around right now and we run back to you and we cling to you with all of our might, with all of our strength, with all of our soul. Your word says to love you, to love the Lord your God. That's the, one of the greatest commandments you said is to love others, to love the Lord your God with all your soul and your mind and your might and your strength and then to love others. Father, let that first commandment be the commandment that we walk out and that when those temptations come our way from this moment on, Holy Spirit, prompt us right now with this one question. Do you love those things? Do you love that thing you're getting ready to do more than me? Do you love that thing you're getting ready to say more than me? Do you love that choice that you're walking towards more than me? Holy Spirit, we need you to convict us. We need you to guide us. We need you to strengthen us. We need you to... Speak to us. Give us discernment. Give us all that we need, Lord God, to resist that temptation. Your word says, if we resist the temptation, as we speak it out in the name of Jesus, I resist it, and then we flee from it. The Lord's going to help us. You're always going to give us a way of escape. Your word promises. And that way of escape is you. It's in your arms. It's at your feet. It's at the foot of the cross. Always. Father, I want this entire congregation to be a pure and spotless bride. I want that if this trumpet were to sound right now, that there would be not one unrepentant sin in this place. Not one unrepentant sin for those that are watching. But Father, that we would all repent right now of all of our sin, of all unrighteousness. Would you just pray this prayer out with me? Everybody in this place say, Jesus, I repent of my unrepentant sin. <laughs> I repent of those lifestyle choices. I repent of that thing that I've acted on. I repent of that thing that I'm even entertaining in my mind. Forgive me, Jesus. I repent to you. Help me to turn from my wicked ways and to turn and run to you. I want to live a life that's holy. I want to live a life that's righteous. I want to live a life that's pure in you. I can't wait to get to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Thank you, Jesus, for rescuing me from myself, from my flesh, from my stupid choices. May I run to you and choose you. May I love you more than I love anything else. And I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, you guys, thank you all for wearing clothes before you came to church today. You chose to put on these clothes, right? You looked in your closet and said, I'm wearing that. Not one of you came here naked. Thank you for that. <laughs> Spiritually, put this on every day. Put it on. The robe of what? Righteousness. Put on the robe of righteousness, right? Just like the clothes you're picking out every morning. Because I know, and no one's, I had not had, had visited anybody in jail for walking around without any clothes on, right? I, you guys wear clothes. Put on the robe of righteousness every day. You've got to do it. You've got to equip yourself fully because those temptations are going to come, aren't they? Aren't they? They are. We're human. Let's admit it. Yeah, I've been tempted and I'm going to be tempted again this week, right? Yes. So what do you do? I'm going to love you, Jesus, more than I'm going to love this. Jesus! 
I'm not going to step into that thing that's in front of me. <clears throat> that's dangling its pretty little shiny object in front of me. I'm not going to grab hold of it because, you know, you've heard me say this before. A little fish will do the same thing. Oh, look at that pretty little shiny worm. There's a hook in there. <laughs> Satan does the same thing to you. There's a hook in it. And he's got you. Man, lovest thou me more than these, he's asking. That's the question he's asking of all of us today. All of us. Lovest thou me more than these? The answer is yes, Jesus. I love you more than these. I love you more than these. Amen. I love you more than these. I love you more than these. Oh, let that be your answer every single time. And you'll build that muscle, won't you? It's like, oh, this is, it's not getting easier, but it's getting better, right? You're less failing. You're, you're, you're less falling into it. And you're more succeeding in Him, right? Isn't that the direction we want to go? That's what sanctification is. It's becoming more like Him and less like us. Hallelujah. Amen.